how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Josh Bicell got his start writing for The Onion in college before he moved to television, writing for Veronica's Closet, American Dad, Psych, Scrubs, and now Solar Opposites. Mike McMahon wrote for Axe Cop and Star Trek Short Treks before writing for Rick and Morty. Since writing for the iconic series, he's also worked on Star Trek Lower Decks, and he's the co-creator of the new series Solar Opposites alongside Justin Rowland. The Hulu series Solar Opposites is about a family of aliens who move to Middle America where they debate whether life is better there or their home planet. In this interview, the writers talk about the history of animation, how they find unique voices for the writer's room, the story behind the undercover sea story The Wall, how to write what they call controlled dumb, and tactical advice for screenwriters trying to break into the industry today. Hey, my name is Josh Bicell. Uh, I'm one of the EPs and one of the showrunners of Solar Opposites. Um, I actually started, when I was in college, I wrote for this thing called The Onion. I went to Wisconsin, and uh, that was my first sort of foray into writing comedy. Um, and it was just getting going in, in, in Madison where it started. And uh, <clears throat> the, first thing, the first thing I ever did for, for The Onion was a movie review of... God, I can't believe I'm forget the Kurt Russell sci-fi where he goes, uh, um, Stargate. That was the first thing I ever did for The Onion. Uh, and then I sold, uh, and then I, I sold, I not sold, I pitched an article. I remember that was um, high school student wins Pulitzer Prize for yearbook entry. That was my first uh, foray. Into, <laughs> and so, but I'd always, my dad was a writer and, and a lawyer and hated being a lawyer and wanted to be a writer. So I'd always sort of been doing it all my life, but that was my first real foray. And then um, after college, I went to UCLA to the film school in screenwriting and I lasted about a year. And then I was lucky enough or maybe unlucky enough to get a job very young on Veronica's Closet, which was a big sitcom at the time with starring Kirstie Alley. And it was, 
insane. But that was really my, I'd always been a writer. I'd always been writing. I wrote for the school newspaper in college. You know, the onion was, I just was at right place, right time. It started right as I was sort of, uh, it had started a couple of years ago. So they needed writers and, and just to be able to EB, even be in that room and pitching stories was, was great. I was on the cover of the onion naked my senior year for, for the article that was co- university to cut co-ed naked sports. If people remember those shirts from a long time ago. Oh yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> this is Mike McMahon. Um, I don't know. I tried writing in high school. Uh, I thought, uh, I think, cause I'm, I was bad at everything else. And it was one of the few things I didn't get um, bad grades in possibly because you don't get grades for creative stuff. And then uh, in college, uh, I, I got into a sketch comedy troupe and I found out from that, it was kind of a little mini writer's room I'd never experienced and uh, found out how much I liked getting a laugh on the page as opposed to doing stuff on stage. Um, and then after having moved out to Los Angeles, uh, after working a couple different gigs, um, found out I liked writing TV because it was a lot faster than trying to write a movie. Uh, and I, I worked a number of PA jobs while I was writing uh, at home on my own and eventually uh, managed to make a career out of it. I became a writer's assistant on Rick and Morty for a season and uh, Harmon and Justin made sure I got a script to write. And then that kind of kickstarted my career and been writing ever since. You guys have written for, you both written for different uh, animated series. How important is it going into Solar Opposites to have a writing staff and creators know the whole backlog of what's come before, Simpsons, Futurama, Rick and Morty, stuff like that. How important is that? I, you know, to me, it's important that every single writer has different experiences and backgrounds. It's not really that they know. It's helpful, like things will come up on any show, you know, Simpsons, Futurama, South Park, Robot Chicken, they've all done so many episodes that you all get excited about something and be like, ah, shit, South Park did this already. So it's good to at least have, it's helpful for some people to have a lexicon of, you know, you don't want to get too far down the line on something. I remember first season, we were all excited about this, this joke we wanted to do with the pupa. And then late in the game, somebody was like, wait, I think there was an SNL sketch that was just like this. And we had to toss it out. So like, having kind of a breadth of knowledge of different media when you're, when you're making fun of that kind of stuff and playing in that playground with sci-fi comedy is helpful. But, you know, some people have an exhaustive understanding of every bit that's ever been on Simpsons. Some people like, you know, don't watch TV and they read. Other people are like, know every episode of Letterman. Like having, having different backgrounds and different things that make you laugh is actually better than, than, finding somebody who knows everything about animation. Otherwise, everything would always feel the same. You know, at least that's what I think. I second everything that Mike says. And the only thing that I would add is um, Mike and I have so much animation experience. And so, you know, I think that uh, for our staff, especially after the beginning, as we moved into the season two and three, we were looking for people with more, just a wa- different voices, I think. Different voices, different POVs on life, different, uh, different ways they became writers performers we really like. So I think that Mike and I are pretty sure about our animation experience and what we know and that we can teach them, you know? And the great thing about writers, especially TV writers is they have to be adaptable and they have to learn. And I think people that haven't done animation before come in and are like, oh wait, we can go to the moon in the third act? Oh my God, well, that's great. Let's do that. I mean, there, you know, there's so much you can do in animation. So I think 
once a writer sees that 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 is a open canvas, they get really excited. Yeah, we're not even reading when we're staffing. We're not looking for animated scripts. We're reading anybody's sample. Um, we, we don't need you to to have a ton of experience in animation to work on the show, because at one point it's going to go through a lens that Josh and I make it what it needs to be for the artist to be able to process. Um, we're really just looking for funny people that are fun to work with and that can write a, write an under, you know, a script that reads well, that, that, that is, that has clarity and that has a particular voice to it. But the, the actual animation side of it, you really only need the people at the top to be thinking about, you know, the stuff that can kind of derail things. Everybody else just has to be funny. So what was the original idea for Solar Opposites? And how did you guys kind of pitch that and bring everybody together? God, Mike, do you have enough time? How much, <laughs> how much recording tape do you have? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't work that way anymore. No. You can clarify it pretty easily. I think, you know, Justin and I have been working on Rick and Morty for a while and I actually had known him when I was an assistant at Fox, when he was developing, I was working at Fox animation at the studio at the time. And we just knew that we liked the same stuff. The same stuff made us laugh. We both love video games. We both love, you know, TV animated comedies. And so in, in the, while Rick and Morty season two was in production, uh, Justin asked me to develop a animated show with him uh, that he was working on for Fox at the time. So originally Solar Opposites was supposed to fit into that kind of sitcom animated Fox animation domination mold. Um, Fox, I remember they were like, yeah, this sounds great. It's super weird. And then we wrote a script for them and they were like, yeah, we're going to pass. It's a little weird, <laughs> which is a classic uh, Hollywood reversal there. And then, um, you know, we, we started making Solar or uh, uh, Rick and Morty season three and then Hulu kind of appeared out of nowhere and was like, hey, we actually, you know, animation does great for us. Would you, do you have anything to come in and pitch? And we were like, well, we love this, this sort of sitcom-y, fake Simpsons-y show that looks like the Simpsons or Family Guy from a distance, but then it's very different once you actually start watching it. And when we retooled the show concept for Hulu, it was that's where the concept of the, the show and the show, the wall grew. Cause we always wanted to put that in the show, but we thought we were going to have to sneak it past, you know, uh, uh, executives that were, would have rightly toned it down for an audience that didn't have it all available. Like they will on Hulu. Like if you had just caught one episode of solar opposites on broadcast randomly on some night, you'd be totally lost. But because we were going to be making it for Hulu, we knew that the whole thing was going to be available to watch. Um, and so when we went in to pitch it for Hulu, it was, you know, fully realized we want this to be a family animated sitcom where the family is really weird and unlike any family that you usually see. But also we want half the show to be a heavily serialized, dramatic adventure movie that takes place as a bit in the wall of one of the lead characters. And Hulu loved it. Like... It, we thought we were going to have to cajole them and beg, but they, they totally got it. And, and Josh can tell you when we, we staffed up and wrote season one, the first day we sat down and we broke out the entire season of the wall, like in the first two days. Yeah. I came on after they'd sold it to, to Hulu already and we had done the animatic or we're working on the animatic. And I came on around then. And, uh, um, I remember my first question to Mike was after watching the eight minute animatic was you're going to do something with that wall thing. Right. And he's like, Oh yeah, we have a whole plan for it. For me, it, you know, I'd been doing, I'd done, a, you know, I'm lucky in that 
I've done a lot of different kinds of stuff. And I was just at a point in my career where I had said to my agents, I know it sounds so Hollywood. It was like, find me something interesting. Find me something different. I'm so fucking, can I cuss on this? I'm so yeah. fucking sick of Brock. Uh, um, I'm going to say, we should be saying Brock's name a lot because it's a cool name. Um, I know it's not every day you're going to say Brock Swinson, right, Brock? No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess for Brock, uh, he says it every day. Yeah, he's he says it all the time. Like, yeah. His wife's probably. It. Uh, but, um, you know, I just read the script and I had watched the animatic and it, it just stuck out to me as something that was so interesting and so different. And, you know, I had obviously seen a lot of Rick and Morty, but I, I wasn't an insane Rick and Morty fan. And what I loved about this and what we've really tried to bring to it is, yes, it's insane. And yes, people, a lot of people die, but there's a sweetness to it, you know, that I think Rick and Morty in it, all of its genius, it, it, it veers away from that on purpose, you know, and because of, of how it's built. And, and I like that there's a little bit of a sweetness sometimes to our show. It comes out in very weird ways, but it's there. Um, I think also Rick and Morty is incredibly smart. Like there's nothing, there's nothing that isn't well-crafted and incredibly smart. And Solar is almost a celebration of the dumb, like, you know, like a controlled fall. We're like a controlled dumb. Like when we're being dumb, we know we're being dumb because we're making us, it's making us laugh really hard. And it's sort of a pressure release of we get to do all the stupidest, funniest shit that you usually don't get to do on shows because our lead characters are so weird. And because the structure that we've chosen is so weird that like, will often be like, wow, we're all laughing at that, but can we really do that? And we're like, yeah, we can do whatever we want. We're, we're the fun show. <laughs> we, we can have yeah. fun here. You know, and I think that that, that to me shows up in, in the, in the finished product, you know, and, uh, and I think that, that uh, it was, it was important for me having worked on American dad, you know, which I think it took so many years for it to distinguish itself from family guy. It was important for me early on to try to, to distinguish ourselves from Rick and Morty, because Rick and Morty is this supernova. I mean, it is a cultural, you know, it, it's become a, a culture, it's an icon. It's almost, it's almost reached that status. And so I just wanted to make sure that we were, we were gonna be able to differentiate ourselves a little bit because the animation, the, the you know, it does look, it's Justin's style. And, yeah, you know, that's what makes similar. it great, just like, just like Seth had the same style. And so Seth MacFarlane, and I think we've done a good job of that. You know. Yeah. Plus I had just worked six years on Rick and Morty. I didn't want to do more Rick and Morty and I didn't want to be right. a pale imitation of what we had just been doing. But you can't do. Yeah. Like there's no, without Harmon, it just isn't that same magic. And so just going into it and knowing that we weren't trying to do the same thing and that we were actively trying to do our own thing was, was what freed us to have a lot of fun with it. So I think Rick and Morty kind of started episodic, went serialized, went back to episodic. You guys start serialized, but it's almost like hidden in a way when you're. So let's like leave the wall of the side for a minute and say the A story, B story. How do you kind of decide some of those? It seems like maybe like the Dan Harmon stuff, you're let's go the opposite of whatever this trope is. But how do you guys talk about it in the room? What are you talking about? Usually we start by saying what is an emotional story that's going to be happening with these characters in, in a non wall sense with this alien team, this alien family, like individually, what, what, how, where are each of their minds at with how they're feeling about this world they're stuck in. And, and we try to use things about, you know, and this is non serialized. Like there's, there's serialized elements for the alien family. And you'll especially see coming up in season three, like, 
that's a little bit, you know, I like in Rick and Morty, we talk about it being like serialized light where like you can have all these standalone episodes, but very slowly you reward the audience with these serialized like seeds that kind of bloom. You'll see that in, um, in Invincible as well. Like I really like, um, I, I really like how Kirkman does kind of like introducing stuff and then hundred issues later, it becomes a big deal. Like that's, we're doing that in the solar alien side as well. And you'll see that even more heavily in the wall side, but when we're breaking those stories, they always do start with, what do we like about Earth? What do we hate about Earth? How would these aliens embody those things? You know, what is relationship drama with them? Each season has a different flavor to it, kind of. Season two is a kind of a reaction to how callously violent they could be. And season three is kind of a, the family's coming together and they're a little more supportive of each other, sort of, you know, t- bringing it back home. Um so I don't know. I, I think like the stories really just stem from an emotional place. And then we just try to layer in the stupidest, funniest expression of that. Well, Mike, I do think to give you and Justin credit, you, I got, you guys also said, we want this to, if you watch the first two minutes of this show, we want, we want you to think it could be a sitcom. Like one of the things that we've really done that is, oh, this, this is a, this could be a sitcom. Oh, the, 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 the husband and husband, Neighborhood, they're running for uh, the uh, the homeowners association, right? Oh, that could be in any show, but not mm-hmm. any show would they create nanobots that they put in the water that they drink and then they piss out to get the information about them, right? Yeah. And that they also stalk and try to kill the old lady who's the head of the HOA. So, so many of our stories start from a sitcom place. You we know? also and- try to start relatable and then every four minutes shift into a completely unpredictable territory so that by the time you're in the middle of the last act, you're like, wait, did this start with them wanting to know if people liked them? Like where it just almost like the chaos of it, like spirals it out super far away. And then we tie it back together to the original emotions, emotional story at the very end. Like I make Josh break the stories into quadrants. It's a 22 minute something animated show. Every quadrant's about five minutes. And I'm always like, I want every five minutes to look and feel different from the quadrant before it. So the audience never feels like they know what's coming next. How do you guys kind of structure like the writer's room between breaking stories? It sounds like you guys pass off individual writers and you two go back at the end and go over each episode. Is that kind of the process? Josh likes to use this thing he's used his whole career called the writer's pyramid, where the biggest writers on the bottom and the littlest are on top, and each one writes a different word in descending order. Josh, explain your pyramid you love so much. <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about, but I would like to sell that <laughs> as, a, as a writer's thing. No, I mean, you know, I think that um, Mike and I, in, in a lot of ways, come from, because I think I'm used to more of a traditional writer's room where everybody does everything, and, and I think Rick and Morty... Is, about, is a hybrid of that. So we've sort of adapted a hybrid model of that. And also remember Mike is, you know, has another show as well that he's juggling at this time, Star Trek Lower Deck. So what we really try to do is we start every season breaking out. What do we want to do this season? What are the areas we like? What are the stories we like? Putting aside the wall for a second, because that's a whole other subject that we really do break out the entire season of that. Um, and so we do that. We really start to talk about what, what, what are the individual stories we want to tell. And usually what we'll do is we'll use the um, story circle that they used on Rick and Morty to start with, where we'll sort of break the back of each story and get all the big beats and get the big turn and get the big set piece. And then we'll, we will go in and sort of break out each scene, beginning, middle and end, jokes, 
And so by the time that the writer, and then we'll, we'll assign it to a writer. And then by the time the writer goes off to write that outline, they have a 20 page document where we've talked about almost everything in the story. Then they'll come back from the outline. Mike and I will do a pass on it. And then they'll go off and write a draft. And usually what we'll do is obviously this year was different because of Zoom, but Mike will do a, I'll do a pass first or Mike will do a pass first. We'll send it back and forth to each other. Sometimes we'll have the writer do another pass. And then what we'll do is we'll use the room to do jokes. We'll do a bunch of jokes with the room. We'll, 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 we'll sort of find 15 places in the scripts where we say, hey, let's get another joke here or a different visual here. And so everyone will get a chance to see every part of the process. I mean, I think it's important for Mike and I to make sure that our writers feel empowered. You know, we want to make sure that they're involved in the records and all the launches so that they will be involved in all that. But it will usually be the last pass will usually be Mike or I. And usually Mike will do the last pass. And a big goal of it is that when we want our writers off working on whether it's an outline or a script or a punch up or an animatic cut, whatever they're working on, we don't want them to be confused what the goal is, what the emotional stories are, what the point of the episode, what the point of the act is. So we really walk through the thinking of every single beat and we try to give them a bunch of options so that when they're sitting down with all this material, all they have to do is express it in the way they find the funniest so that we're not making them figure out and like solve problems on their own. That's what we can use 10 writers in a room for. But when they're on their own and everything is kind of spelled out, then they get to make us laugh in the way that the characters are expressing it or in new things that they're adding on top of it that we didn't see coming. Um, it's a nice way to support your writers because then they can just be heroes by, by executing it exactly how you asked for it with these flourishes all throughout especially because everything's always changing. So like, as long as you don't lose the clarity, as long as they're going off and they, they're bringing something back that we can still understand, they can surprise us within it and keeping the writers involved in every stage so that they know our thinking. So when, when we're like, oh, we need, we need this scene to be like this so that at animatic, they'll be able to, to execute it in the way that we're going to want. When you involve the writer in the animatic stage so they see it coming in and they see the notes we're giving, then the next time you do that, they're using the same kind of frame of mind as you are. And it just, it just makes a better show at the end of the day. So it seems like if you're, if you're trying to top jokes in the room, it's just whatever's funniest. Do you guys have conversations about some of the deep cuts and references like, okay, does, does half the people know what blank check is? Do you have conversations like that to see how the audience will take things? I think, I mean, there's so many times where like, Everybody either knows what's going on or you're kind of quickly Googling something to be like, you know, the things that I think are funny are like 90s movies. Like those are the ones that I grew up with. And then, you know, for some of our younger writers, it's like there's things they grew up with. But we you almost when you find something that four people know about and you don't, it's not a uh oh, I'm an old man. I'm going to die someday moment. I mean, that's in the back of your mind. But you're like, oh, I want to hear about this thing and learn about it, it's almost expanding your experience when you're finding out about it. I personally like it when you're referencing something that half of the audience is mystified by yeah, just because I think it's funny. But we go to it. I mean, I remember when I was a younger writer, it used to drive me crazy when these old dudes who now I am would be like, I don't know what that is. They'd be like, but everybody else does. So when I don't know something, usually we put it in because I'm the old guy now. But like, 
you know, we did a, we have a whole story in season two that basically revolves around the lake house, a medium, med- mm-hmm. moderately successful romantic comedy from the early 2000s. Like, I love that we do that. I love that we're a show that if we think it's funny in a reference, we put it in because as Mike said, someone will look it up. You know? There's also, this is a bit of a spoiler, Josh. I, I, I'll, I'll step off of it a little bit anyway, but we have this Christmas episode coming out later this year that, that's all animated and finished. And it's a it's a, a parody of an existing Christmas movie. And I wrote the Christmas episode, but I've never seen the movie we're parodying. I've only kind of picked up pieces of it throughout my life. And so what you get is this kind of, and like every once in a while, some of the writers that knew the movie a little bit better would be like, oh, just, just call this part this. And it actually makes more sense. So like, because the aliens are you know, everything is new to them and they don't have quite a human point of view on stuff. Writing a parody of a movie I've never quite seen all the way was a really fun exercise in getting a really weird holiday episode out of. That's funny. It reminds me of the Team America set up the other countries, the way Americans picture them, not the way they actually were and everything. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys, are you guys so busy with things that you don't really in deadlines, you don't really experience writer's block. Are you bouncing between this and that? Do you have any of that stuff? Or if you do have a particularly difficult problem, how do you solve it? I mean, Uh, I mean, I think God, yeah, you don't, I definitely Mike does not have time uh, because he is juggling two shows, but no, we are, we are busy and we are moving fast. Um, But as Mike said, like there's something to be said for, the way our show is set up is that we always find a funny solution to something. Yeah. And because we don't have the, the real strict, like where our show is loose on purpose and fun on purpose. So we don't find ourselves that many times in, in a position where we cannot get out of it it's with some sort of sci-fi ray or yeah. yeah. The absurdity of the rays. I was about to say that is super helpful for us in that if we are rewarded for Corvo in the third act to pull out something called the dumb Ray that we are never wasn't used in the rest of the show, but it still makes you laugh. And it makes sense because just like in Star Trek or Rick and Morty or any other sci-fi thing, that there are these, these sort of these technological things that change the sway of the story that are normal to the characters within it. It means that if we end up, we've never really been blocked, but like there've been a lot of times where it's like, oh, wait, we have to figure out where the story is going. Like it, it, it veered in a way we didn't expect. And part of the solar opposites power is we don't throw out a story that's been making us laugh. We figure out a made awake at work, even if it's insane or even if it's stupid or even if it's ludicrous. And then that becomes the feature of it. That becomes your favorite part of it is that, you know, it's again, it's like a, it's like a controlled fall is like, how do we, how do we get out of this story if you can do anything, say anything, and it doesn't need to be an airtight, brilliant exploration? You know what I mean? And it's what you end up getting is just like, it's almost like when you and your friends are like, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Let's just wander around. Let's just find, let's just get into mischief. Like it's, it's a little less, it's a little less plotted than you have to be, but the emotional stories have to be there. Like the, as long as... The plot Just can be for crazy what it's as worth, long though, as it lands. The, the plot is crazy, but it's plotted. It's really like plotted yeah. within an inch of its crazy life. So we'll just do maybe um, one more for both of you guys. If you were both starting today, you didn't really have text of the industry, 
how might you try and break in with something to get in a writer's room, pitch a script, whatever it would be. Um, I would, I mean, the pandemic makes it a lot harder. I kind of don't know the answer to that. I'd say anything, just do anything. But I think that the same thing I did back in the day would work, which is get any entertainment industry job that fascinates you or that is, even if it sucks, it's something involved in something you like. Like if you like action movies, get your first shitty job on an action movie. If you know, or, or at a company that markets action movies or at an agency that, that the agents rep action stars, like anything, anything in the root structure of that action movie tree is a good place to start. And then find other people that just really like the same shit that you like and kind of speak that language. Cause that's, you know, all the weirdos who like these things are all out in Los Angeles and New York, like finding each other and doing that stuff. Like the horror people are hanging together. The comedy people are finding each other. And then while you're working that shitty job, that at least is a shitty job on something that you really like, be working on your own stuff on the side. You know, like I had a Star Trek Twitter that I sold to Simon and Schuster and read a Star Trek book that eventually helped me get my own Star Trek show. And I didn't plan that. It was just because I was going home and doing it. And then, you know, Rick and Morty came about because I was writing at home all the time. And I had I had a couple of spec scripts that I had just been working on forever. And and then, you know, just working in animation, getting to know Justin and Dan and, and making those connections. It's not it's not something you can plan, but you have to be prepared for when the opportunity hits and you have to be doing something that that puts you on the radar of people and that they know that you're trustworthy and and that you're kind of fun to be around and that you're there for the same reasons and that you, you, you know, that, that you're ready to show up and, and do a good job. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great answer. Uh, you know, I would only add to that is yeah. Getting a job in TV, especially getting a job on a show, getting a job as a writer's assistant, getting a job as a PA, getting a job as a producer's assistant, where you really get to see how it's made. It gives you a leg up for when it's time for you to get that job. Because if you've never been in a writer's room before, you don't really know how it works. And, you know, and you can't know until you see it. And then writing, 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 writing. And by the way, now producing, go out and make a short, go out and put something on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram, anything. There are, as Mike just said, like there are a million ways to get a job now. It's harder than ever to get a job, but there are more ways to show how talented you are, which is a weird, I think, I know dichotomy, uh, you know, but but there are, when I was, there was, you know, when I was starting, it was just, it was basically just write a script and hopefully someone will read it. And now there are so many more ways to do things. And I, I personally think like, if you're going to write a script, write it to be readable, not producible, write it so that yeah. somebody, if somebody can get to the end of your script because it's so fast and funny and you didn't overwrite it, that will be 99% of sample scripts that I read, you know? And if you're going to ask somebody to read your script and you're looking for notes on it, I think the most valuable note to start off with is what moment on what page did you wish you didn't have to finish reading this script for me and tell me why? Cause that's the page that somebody will put it down when they're trying to hire you. You know, you don't need anything else. You don't need to know about third act character reveals and shit like that. Nobody's going to get there. And I also think it's valuable for people to know. Cause like, by the way, when I first started working in the industry in like, you know, around 2006, is it was totally different. And then a year later, it was totally different. And every year since then, it's been totally different. And anybody who says that they know, like when I started in 2006, you would have to pick up 
a copy of Variety to read about the productions that were starting in the back and YouTube didn't exist. And then yeah. like two years later, it was totally different. And you used to have to cold call production offices and be like, can I fax you my resume? You know, and that wasn't that long ago. And so it seems mystifying to, if you, if you want to be a writer or an actor or whatever, yeah, I know it seems absurdly mystifying and impossible to get a foot in the door, but that's, that's just the first hurdle you have to cross to realizing that there is no right way to do it. There no. is, it's going to be different next year anyway. So like, just do anything, just show I, up and be gay. I, yeah. I always say it's such a weird business. If you work at, at Intel or Xerox, you go from A to B to C to D to E, and then eventually you get to, you know, X and you're a senior vice president. Well, in this business, I went from A to F and back to C and then to G and then to R and Mike went from B and then to G like, but unless your last name is Spielberg or Geffen or, you know, Sorkin and you're the kid, you know, there's no way, there's no one way to do it. And, you know, you just have to be here and be working and be open to what comes. Yeah. So like, we don't even know what the fuck people should do right now, but we didn't know what the fuck to do when we got into it either. So at least we share that in common and, you know, just, just be enthusiastic, be respectful, be attentive, know that the people around you are working 10 times harder than you see them working and be a problem solver instead of a, you know, I think a lot of people show up and they're used to disrupting and being funny and, and seeing things from a new angle. And there's always a place for that. But if you're a person that can listen and help things and help the people that are that are working to try to make something like land something or get it down the line a little bit further, whether you're a PA or a writer or a director or an actor, if you're there as a part of the team and not just watching out for yourself, people are going to notice that. And there's a million different ways to do that. But if that's the spirit that you have, then we'll want to work with you. Anybody will want to work with you. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.